Good morning. It is uh, good to be together as always. Uh, you can tell it's fall because we have a lot of announcements and things going on. So uh, if you were kind of confused with all the stuff that was on the screen, again, if you just go on our website on the events page, uh, you can see a bunch of the things happening there and keep up to loop there and register for the different events there if you want to get plugged in. We're continuing our series, Words to Live By. You know, I came in this morning and I had someone look at me and say, man, you look good. Um, it was my wife, but, uh, and you know what that does to me? It just lifts my spirits. I get, you know, I feel like a million bucks all of a sudden and, uh, and that's what words do. You know, our, the words that we speak actually change how people are feeling for better or for worse. Um, and so that's why we've been doing this series, thinking about the words that we choose, not just to speak, because uh, eventually words manifest themselves. They, they actually, uh, take form in the environment and the culture, and they start to impact how people feel, impact what people experience. And so as a faith community uh, that is centered around Jesus, we want to take very seriously the words that we use that are intended to create culture. And so they're not just things we want to say, they're actually things we want people to experience when they walk into a space, when they engage with our faith community, when you're uh, out in your, in your workplace, you're in your neighborhood. Uh, what are the people around you experiencing? Uh, and we believe because Jesus is our center that there's a certain type of community and posture and perspective that he's wanting us to bring into the world. Uh, and so this is what we call our values. Uh, and so as a church, we, we frame our culture around our values, and we're taking this uh, next seven weeks, not coming up seven weeks, we're on week four here, we're doing seven weeks here of uh, what are those values, what are the words that we have chosen, not just to speak, but to live out as a community, uh, because we think it's vitally important. We think it's important how people are experiencing Jesus, how they are feeling about themselves, and what do they think about themselves and about God and about God's church when they encounter uh, people from our space. And so it's important that we, we think about this. And so we've gone through a number of those values, uh, and we'll recap them as we go. But today, we are looking at the value of we won't keep this to ourselves. Everybody say that together. We won't keep this to ourselves. It's the value of outreach. Uh, I don't know if you've ever met somebody that just like can't keep things to themselves. Have you ever met somebody like that? It's like that person that says, you know, I'm not supposed to, t- I'm not supposed to tell you this, uh, but don't tell anybody, okay? And then, uh, and then you hear them say the same thing to somebody else. Hey, you guys know people like that? Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, you're like, I'm, I'm that person. I'm not supposed to tell you this, but uh, I got it. Or, or they got like this hobby that they're really, really into. I got this, this friend, I won't tell you who it is because uh, he goes to church here, but his name rhymes with Brent Neal Hansen. And uh, he... Uh, he, uh, he, he got into like this uh, fly fishing thing years ago, and it's just like all the time fly fishing. I'm going to the fly fishing shop. I'm going to the river, and it's like they, he just couldn't keep it to himself. I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't fish. I don't, I don't do that kind of thing. Uh, I'm afraid of fish, uh, but it was so important to him. It was, it was like... He, and I'm, I'm that type of personality, and you're like, that's what you do with mountain bikes, Matt. Yes, I know. I know. You're around me. When you get into something and you love something, you just can't not talk about it. The people, if they're around you long enough, they will say, you know, this is Matt and he really likes bikes. This is Brent and he really likes fishing. This is Joe and he really likes fill in the blank. Uh, Because when you love something, you can't keep it to yourself. And here's the irony is that the church is a community of people Uh, that are together because they love Jesus and they have professed that he is the most important thing in their life. And yet, we live in a time and a culture where the church seems very shy about talking about Jesus, the one they profess to love the most. We weren't intended to keep that to ourselves. And in fact, if... And I'm just as guilty about this as anybody, and I'm a pastor, right? Um, you know, I'm, when somebody asks me what I do for a living, it's like the scariest moment in the conversation because I know it's like the end or beginning of a relationship. I'm like, yeah, I'm a pastor, and I just like wait like to see. Uh, you know, I had one neighbor that was like, oh, that's really interesting, and that was all he said. Um, and then somebody says, what denomination? And you're like, oh, you got some church background. You know, so it's like the beginning. It's the beginning of a relationship. But we, as a lovers of Jesus are actually called to not keep him to ourselves. Not keep this to ourselves. If your life is being transformed 
in a, in a group. We're called not to keep that to ourselves. If God is doing something in your life, you're called not to keep that to yourself and to invite people to be a part of that. And so we want to talk about that this morning and pushing ourselves not just to keep what God is doing to ourselves, uh, but to recognize that God has actually called us to share, to reach out, to invite other people to be a part of what he's doing. And we're going to begin by looking at Mark chapter 5 this morning. And let me read the story to start. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High, Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out, out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank and into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Now, that's quite a spectacular story. We got so many things going on in the story, and the demon possession, and demons going into pigs, and them running off of cliffs, and it's a, it's, it's a phenomenal story, and we're, we're going to dive into it in a minute. Uh, but it, in order for us to understand what is happening in the story, we've got to understand the context of the world that Jesus was living in and doing ministry in, uh, and, to, and the world that he was also coming out of as a, as a Jewish man who growing up with this Jewish history and background in religion, uh, there's a paradigm that is happening in the story that we can miss if we're not careful. So if you go into your Old Testament, which are the books in your Bible, the first two-thirds of your Bible, before you get to the New Testament, before Jesus' life and ministry, uh, you will see uh, that there is this, there's this uh, what we would call concentric circles of holiness. And so in the, the middle of the, the center of the Jewish world was the Holy of Holies, which was in the temple, okay? And, and so the Holy of Holies, the thought was that God's presence dwelt in that center of the temple, in the Holy of Holies, more significantly, more profoundly in that place than anywhere else on the, in, on the earth, right? So the Holy of Holies was, in, in some ways, the most exciting place on the earth and the most terrifying place on the earth because God's presence was just fully in that space. So much so in that space that there was only one person one time a year that was even allowed to go into that space. And we're told that the, the, the person that would, goes into that space, they would put a rope around their ankle just in case they got into that space and if they died in the presence of God because God was so holy and they weren't quite ready to be in God's presence, they weren't holy, uh, they would get dragged out, their dead body would get dragged out. That's why they had the rope on their legs. So that was like an intense thing. So you got the Holy of Holies in the center of the temple, and then outside of, the, of that place you had the courts. And the courts are uh, where, other, uh, where other people, other men in particular, uh, and priests were allowed to, to be in that area, but they weren't allowed to be in the Holy of Holies. So there's like a next level of... Uh, you know, holiness, you know, second tier, not quite tier one, but, you know, tier two. Uh, and then he had tier two where the general population, which now this would include women, uh, were allowed to be in the outside of the temple area, in the temple, uh, outside of the temple. And then outside of that, you had the holy city of Jerusalem, 
And then outside of that, you had the Jewish world in Judea. Uh, and then outside of that, you had what were referred to as the Gentile lands, the, the people that weren't Jewish, uh, and the places that they were leaving, or living. Living. Whoa. Living. There we go. Uh, and so every step you had, uh, you had a new level of holiness. Right, so this is the paradigm of the world that Jesus is living and ministering. And the whole thought of uh, the Jewish people was the closer you were to the middle, the more holy you were, obviously. Everything became about location, a particular area, a particular city, a temple, a place inside of the temple. Some people were able to get closer than others depending on their religion, depending on how they were living, depending on their status, their gender, their ethnicity, their occupation, all of these things impacted which level of holiness, which tier they were allowed to walk into. And so this can all be summarized by the idea of cleanliness. And so we're not just talking about, you know, washing your hands, cleanliness, but being clean was the term uh, that was used, or being pure or impure for people that were actually prepared because of their faith, their belief, their religious practices to to move more and more towards the center of that circle. Does that make sense? So this is the world that Jesus is living in. And so when we think about that in the context of the story, it begins in Mark, and it says they went across the lake. So if you're familiar with the series of events that's happening in Mark, right before this happened, Jesus encounters the storm on the lake, and he calms the storm, which was a significant event, because not only did he calm the storm, and that was miraculous, but the storm represented the powers of evil in that world. And so Jesus is showing that he has authority over evil. Uh, And so he goes through the lake, conquering the powers of evil, conquering the storm, comes across the lake. He's leaving the land of Judea, if you remember the circles uh, of holiness there, and he's going into the Gentile lands, into a new region, the region of Gerasenes. Uh, And so there's one thing that realtors tell you about the value of your property. Well, there's three things. They said the most important thing about the value of your property is what? Location, location, location. Uh, And so we have to pay attention when we're reading the story about the location that's happening because this tells us a lot about what's going on. Location, location, location. Jesus is leaving the location, the locale of of the Jewish world, and he's going into the Gentile world. He crosses the lake to go to the other side. And as he crosses the lake to go to the other side, he meets a man who is not Jewish, So there's a level of cleanliness already that Jesus is ignoring. He meets this person over on the other side in this region. And not only is this person from this region, but this person also has an impure spirit, an unclean spirit. And so he's unclean times two or three already. And now this man comes from the tombs to meet him. And if you were among the dead, if you had been in contact with the dead or among tombs, that also made you unclean. If you go in the Old Testament, you can read about that in Numbers 19, that anyone who failed to purify themselves uh, from being in contact with the dead must be cut off, must be excommunicated from Israel. And so on multiple levels, Jesus is venturing in to this unclean territory. As you read through the New Testament, you also recognize that Jesus is God with flesh on, that he is the holy of holies. In fact, he says that in Matthew 21, that he is greater than the temple itself, which was blasphemous to the Jewish people because they thought the whole world was about, or the whole point was about the center of the temple, the holy of holies, and God's presence there that was unique there in that location, more unique than anywhere else in the world. And Jesus shows up in the scene and he says, there's one greater than the temple that is here, and I am that greater person. God's spirit was most uniquely in Jesus, more unique than anywhere else in the world. The Holy Spirit of God present with Jesus. John 1 said, Jesus himself was God, and God put on flesh and made his home among us. So God himself, the thing that the Holy of Holies was even pointing to, that God himself came to earth in the form of Jesus. And so this is incredibly profound when you begin to think about it. The whole paradigm, the worldview that Jesus was coming from was all about moving towards the center. And the closer you got to the center, the holier you were. And then Jesus shows up in the scene, God with flesh on, the holy of a holy is with flesh on, and he begins to do what? He begins to move out of the center. 
He's a mobile holy of holies. He's beginning to move out. And, and if you pay attention as you read the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus begins to break barrier after barrier after barrier after barrier. And this is why the Jewish leaders are getting so offended at Jesus and what he's doing. He's not playing by the rules, and he's breaking these barriers, and, and, and he's going out. And so Jesus meets this man with an unclean spirit, living among unclean tombs, surrounded by unclean people, employed uh, people being employed in unclean occupations in an unclean Gentile territory, and we see that Jesus, the Holy of Holies, is moving out. And this is really significant and important for a lot of reasons. But if we just pause for a second, there's some of you here in this room, who, are, uh, or you might be listening online, who think that you haven't got clean enough or pure enough or right enough to be acceptable to Jesus. And that's actually an Old Testament mentality, not a Jesus mentality, not a New Testament mentality. Jesus, the Holy of Holies, is doing everything that we cannot do ourselves, and he is coming to us. And so if you come here this morning, you feel like, I'm not good enough, I'm not perfect enough, I don't have my life together enough, the good news is that Jesus doesn't require you to do that. He is coming to you. And so Jesus is moving out. The Holy of Holies is moving out from the center and it's going into these regions that were supposedly unclean. It says that this man had an impure spirit or an unclean spirit. Uh, and it actually says he was a man with an unclean spirit. And that Greek word that's used there, the, re- the word that's translated with, can mean in, can mean on, can mean with with. Uh, so there's lots of different meanings to that word. And so this, this, this is a curious point that we just got to spend some time on because it's not probably a part of our normal day-to-day experience that we're meeting uh, people that are possessed by demons. Uh, maybe you are. Uh, I'd love to, you know, you can chat with me after the service. Let's share stories. Uh, but let's just talk about this for a second. So this man is clearly possessed by demon, and the word that's being used could be in, on, with. And for sure, there are moments There are moments where people are possessed by demonic forces, by evil forces, to the extent that they don't have control even of themselves. They have given up control of themselves, and they're being controlled by forces outside of themselves. There's also situations, and that that does happen, uh, and I've encountered people like that, but the more normative situation is that people experience demonic oppression, where there's forces of evil that are on, around, are impacting somebody, and that's negatively having an effect on their life. And in either situation, why does this happen? How does this happen? In Romans 6.23, it says that the wages of sin is death. And we often think about sin as like the punishment for the bad things that, or, that, or death is the punishment of the bad things that we've done. But in, what Paul is saying in Romans 6 is that sin is like a master who you serve and he pays you wages. This is the analogy that's being used. And if you're serving sin, if this becomes the, the thing that is driving your life, there's a wage, there's a price to be paid. And so sin is like a, a doorway. It's an invitation to be mastered. It's an invitation for something else to be controlling you. And our, op- our choices lead to opportunities for evil spiritual forces to come and impact our lives. In fact, in James 1, it says, when we let desire rule, we get dragged away and we lose control of our lives. Desire gives way to sin, which gives way to death. So there's a progression. When we choose to let sin become our master, or desire to become our master, sin starts to wreak havoc in our lives. And we open the doorway for evil forces to actually uh, negatively impact our lives. I remember when I was in, it was about grade seven, grade six or grade seven, beginning of junior high, um, we, were in the, we were in the big gym, and I went to the school where the grade Kindergarten to grade 12, we all went to the same school. Anybody go to school like that? All right. Uh, it's, it's crazy uh, when you actually think about it. Kindergarten to grade 12, all in the same school. I was in grade 6 or 7. Uh, there was this grade 12 guy. Um, his name was Jared Bartley, uh, and he's as big as his name sounds. Uh, he, he was sitting uh, on the floor. I was up in the bleachers, and I was eating my 
uh, meat and mayonnaise and mustard sandwich, uh, and I had this idea. I elbowed my friends. I'm like, hey, check this out. Uh, and I had this half-eaten sandwich, taking a couple bites into it, uh, and I decided it would be this great idea to throw it at Jared Bartley. Uh, and so I took my sandwich. I threw it down the bleachers. Bullseye hit Jared like, right in the back of the net, and it slid into the back of his shirt. It was amazing. Um, what happened next wasn't so amazing. Jared Bartley got up. Uh, he knew it was me right away. I don't know how he knew it was me. Maybe a bit of a reputation. But he looks at me, uh, and I remember him like stomping up the bleachers, right? Uh, maybe it's more epic in my memory than it actually was. But you know, I, I, I just remember in like slow motion and like the bleachers echoing as he's stomping up. And I'm, you know, my, my, my anxiety is rising, like what's going to happen to me? And he grabs me by the shirt, and he pulls me and he drags me down the bleachers. Boom, 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 boom. He drags me across the gym floor in front of the rest of the school, uh, and he drags me into the principal's office. Uh, and I weaseled my way out of it. I, got, uh, I, I made up some excuses, and I, you know, I got out of it, and he got in trouble. It's amazing. Uh, I, had a, I had an ability as a kid to do things like that. Uh, but that's besides the point. Um, I had a choice in that moment. Uh, and I, I made a choice. I made a decision. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw the sandwich. Uh, after I made that choice, I became less and less control, in control of that situation. Uh, I, I was dragged across the gym, down the bleachers, outside of my own will. Not being able to stand. Being dragged across the floor in front of the whole school. And this is, like, when I, when I think of the James passage, I think of what sin does to us. This is the picture. I always think of the story. This is the picture that comes to my mind, is that we have a choice to make. And when we make choices, we are in control when we make the choices, but the more choices we make, the more control we lose. The more choices we make to follow our desires and our, our sinful desires, the more we lose control. And I think there's some of us, maybe you're listening this morning, where you feel like you have lost control of your life. There's some of us who have made choices to follow our desires, to follow maybe some sinful patterns. And at the beginning it was a choice, but you find yourself in this place that you're not making choices anymore. You made choices, but now the choices are making you. In some ways you're being dragged. You're not in control anymore. And you wish that you were in a different situation. But you find yourself in a situation where you're out of control and now the choices are dragging you along. And so in, in some ways, we look at the story about this man being demon-possessed, having no control, and it, it is a, quite a spectacular story, but in many, many, many ways, this is also a very normative story. Because we make choices all the time that impact us. We make choices all the time that lead to consequences that are far greater than the ones that we thought they, there would be. Because sin will always take us farther than we wanted to go, and it's always going to hurt more people than we want it to hurt. And so we see that this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, and he tore the chains apart, and he broke the irons on his feet. Uh, and so this man was spectacularly strong. And here's the truth, that sin on the, on the forefront always looks like it will offer you something, and it will. It will offer you power. It will offer you wealth. It'll offer you pleasure. It'll offer you comfort. But this, and this man seems to appear to have superhuman strength. But it will also, also, it will also always cost you something. Don't be fooled. You look at the story, and he had superhuman strength, but he was becoming less and less human. He was becoming less and less of the person that God wanted him to be, and I believe less and less of the person that he probably wanted to be himself. They can't even chain him. He's breaking the chains. It says that no one was strong enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs and in the hills. He would cry out and cut himself with stones. And this word cry out is literally the word howling, which is an animal word. Sin will, will offer you something, but it will always cost you something. And the truth is that when we choose to follow our sinful desires, our animal desires, we will become less human. We will become less human. This man was acting like an animal, literally. 
Even though he had supernatural strength, he was becoming more animalistic and less human. And we see that as he made these choices, he was a danger to himself. He was cutting himself, either self-mutilation or suicide attempts. We see that he was a danger to others. He was in shackles and chains, and this testifies to the fact that he was probably a danger to the people around him. The demons have given him superhuman strength, but they had left him a human wreck, and he was cold and naked and isolated and self-destructive, howling like an animal. When sin becomes our master, we, we, we become less human, more animalistic, We become more dangerous to ourselves, more dangerous to others. This is the effect of sinful choices on our lives. And this is the effects of the sinful choices that this individual had made. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? In God's name, don't torture me. Uh, For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Uh, In God's name... In the name of God, you know, this is really ironic because this is God with flesh on. In God's name, I tell you to do this. Uh, it doesn't work. Uh, so the, de- the demon invokes the name of God to save him from Jesus. Uh, joke's on him. Then Jesus asked him, what's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he, began, and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out into the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding in the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down to the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. So there's a lot going on in these few verses here, but uh, the, the name of the demons in this man, they, Jesus asked, asked them, and he said their name was Legion because they are many. Do you know what a legion was in the first century? A legion was a Roman army, a group of soldiers, anywhere, anywhere from four to 6,000 soldiers. Do you know what the mascot of, the legion, of, the, of a legion was? A pig. This is a story, yes, about Jesus freeing a man who, because of his own choices, had lost control of his own life and was self-destructing and harming other people. That's what the story is about. But yes, the story is also about Jesus freeing a people from Roman oppression. There's more going on in the story than just the men. Jesus was going to cast out Rome. There's a kingdom coming that is greater than the kingdom of the world. A power that is beyond the military and political power of Rome, of Babylon, of America, of Canada, of Russia, of Palestine, of Israel. A kingdom that is greater And yes, God's kingdom rescues individuals from their individual sinful decisions that are wreaking havoc in their lives, but God is also rescuing people from the oppression of governments and culture. Jesus wanted to transform not just lives, but transforms communities and regions and nations. So this man, on one hand, is in shackles because of the choices that he's made, but on the other hand, he's in shackles along with the rest of the larger population because they were under the oppression of Rome. Jesus, saving. The Holy of Holies going out, going into unclean territories, rescuing people because of the choices they've made and also because of the culture they were a part of. I want you to push aside what you think the exception is right now of this spectacular situation and this man being possessed by a demon, and I want us to recognize the norm here. That our world is full of individuals because of choices that they've made or maybe choices that other people have made for them that have left them without freedom, left them without choice, left them in shackles, left them... Maybe in the beginning they had a choice, but over time they feel like they're being dragged away because of the choices that they've made and there's no, they're no longer in control of their lives anymore. Our world's full of people like that. There's people in this room that have that as their experience. Our world is also full of individuals who because of our world, because of our culture, because of uh, the lies and the systemic injustices that exist are being oppressed by things that are even beyond their control. Jesus came he said, to set prisoners and captives free. 
Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus, this was Jesus' mission. This is why Jesus came. Jesus broke every single barrier that was in front of him because this is why he came. To seek and save the lost, to set prisoners and captives free. Jesus didn't come as the Holy of Holies just to remain in one locale, in one region, and to call all people to one center. The center of the world himself went out into the world. And it says, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And it's really important for us to note that Jesus, unlike the demonic powers, doesn't make this man do anything. The only thing he does is restore. He frees this man from the shackles, and he restores him to his right mind to be able to exercise his will once again. Because Jesus doesn't force us or manipulate us or make us do anything. That's not the way of Jesus. Jesus invites us. He woos us. He dies for us. He's resurrected again for us. He invites us to follow him, to receive forgiveness, to receive the gifts that he has to give us, but he doesn't ever force us to receive it. This man is in his right mind. He's been taken away from the, the chains and the shackles that were binding him, and the people come and they see what has happened, and they're afraid. And what we learn from the story in Mark chapter 5 is that every person, no matter how far we think they've gone, how unreachable they are, are not unreachable when they encounter Jesus. There was nobody that could save this man. There was nobody that could help him. They tried. They tried everything they could do. He was breaking chains. He was beyond hope. He was beyond redemption. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he frees the man. And we need to recognize that God sees the divine image, the image of God in every human being. We know that from Genesis, that when God created man and God created woman, that we were created in the image of God. And it doesn't matter what your story is, and it doesn't matter what somebody else's story is, they have the image of God imprinted on them. And Jesus came to set the prisoners free, to restore God's image in them and in us. But the the other truth is that Jesus won't do for us what we can do for ourselves. And so Jesus sets this man free, and what this man does from this point on is actually completely up to the man himself. The story goes on. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. The people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And this is such a crazy part of the story, right? I mean, I, I hear many people, and I, I've said it myself, you know, it would be great... Uh, you know, if God would like show up in a more significant way, you know, we would love for Jesus to, you know, heal somebody or for something to happen. Uh, But the Bible and history shows us that even though that's what we think we want, when Jesus shows up, some people just want Jesus to leave. Because he disrupts our world, doesn't he? And we'll see that Jesus leaves because, again, Jesus doesn't force himself in any way. He does not stay where he is not welcome. And so he does this spectacular thing, and the people plead with him to leave because they're afraid, and they don't want their world to be shaken up. They just want to be comfortable. They just want everything to stay the same, and so it would just be easier, Jesus, if you left, and he just left us alone. Jesus is too much of a threat to their normal. And so as Jesus was getting into the boat, so what about the guy? Jesus is getting in the boat. He's leaving because he was asked to leave. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Now, a quick note. This is a text that actually tells you about the deity of Jesus, that Jesus was God with flesh on, because Lord is short form for Yahweh, the name of God in the Old Testament, and Jesus tells this man to go and tell what the Lord has done for him. And the man goes and tells what who had done for him? Jesus. Jesus was synonymous with God himself. 
So Jesus, the man's begging to go with Jesus. Jesus, let me go with you. And, and Jesus says to him, no, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done. He says to the man, don't keep this to yourself. Don't keep this to yourself. Go back to where you came from and tell what God has done. And I think this is actually the way it usually works. When God saves us from something, often he sends us back to the place that we came from. In fact, some of the things that we're saved from probably have something to do with the things that we're saved for. That's why it's not uncommon, even in the ministries of Sun West, that people that have been saved from addictions end up doing ministry with those who are in addictions. People who have experienced significant loss in their family or maybe lost a child or a loved one end up being involved in ministries where other people have lost loved ones. People who have experienced hurt in relationships end up, as Jesus ministers to them and heals them, serving other people and helping them in their broken relationships. People who speak a certain language and come from a certain culture where maybe they didn't know who Jesus was and they, 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 they encounter Jesus, they, became, they become saved and they're, they're healed, often Jesus uses that background and their culture and their language to go back to bring good news to where they came from. This is often the way it happens. And so this man comes to Jesus begging him that Jesus would take him away and Jesus says, no, don't come with me. I want you to go home. I want you to go back where you came from and I want you not to keep this to yourself. You need to tell people. And so there's a shift. There's a shift happening not only in the story, but in the whole paradigm of the religious world that Jesus is coming out of from a come and see perspective to a go and tell. To a come to the center of the religious world to a, no, I want you to go out. I want you to follow my example and I want you to go. Like I left and I came from the Father, and I came from heaven to earth, I want you also to go. And so Jesus, as we know, was the temple. The presence of the living God in Jesus fully. Jesus would be crucified. He would be resurrected three days later, ironically, where? Outside of the city. The Holy of Holies being crucified outside of the city. Interesting note. Jesus was resurrected three days later. Then he told the disciples after he goes away to the Father to wait. He's going to send his Holy Spirit to them. So wait on the Holy Spirit. And so the followers of Jesus are waiting patiently and they're praying. And we know that uh, from Acts 2 that the Holy Spirit came and filled them. And this is what we refer to as Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down on the people of God. And do you know what Paul says about the people of God from this point on in, in history? In 1 Corinthians 3, in 1 Corinthians 6, in 2 Corinthians 6, in Ephesians chapter 2, in 1 Peter 2, we all see references that the people of God are called what? The temple of the Holy Spirit. The people of God, which we refer to as the church, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we use phrases like, we're going to church. We, we do it in my house too. We're going to church, and sometimes our kids aren't ready, and we say, we're going to church without you. Uh, and if, if your family's anything like mine, you might have a fight on the way to church, and, and you're like arguing, and you got a pouty kid in the back, and a kid who's upset and angry, and somebody didn't eat, and the other kid doesn't want to be here, and you're showing up, and you're like, put your smiles on your faces. We're at church. And you're laughing because I know uh, it's your, part of your story. Everybody put on their Sunday best. We're at church. And we use church, we use this, this, this word, this noun, as if it's a place that we go to. But the truth is that you don't attend church, you are the church. We don't attend church, we are the church. In fact, I want you to say that statement with me. Say, I don't attend church, I am the church. It's almost theologically incorrect, we are the church. Um, I'm correcting myself as I made these slides. I don't attend... <laughs> I don't, but let's say it again. I don't attend church. I am the church. I am a part of the church, the truth. And so, yes, there's a building. There's a building that the church gathers in. There's a building that we gather in, 260 Mid Park Boulevard. This is where SunWest Church gathers, but this is not SunWest Church. 
And there are many very good reasons, biblical reasons, why we gather. We gather to worship. We gather to disciple one another. We gather to teach. We gather to pray. We unite ourselves around a common mission and vision. We put into practice the 50-plus commandments that we see in the New Testament that say to love one another, to forgive one another. You can't do those things without being in the context of the community. There's so many good reasons for the church to gather together in a building. And so this is not an anti-building sermon. But this is a corrective sermon because when we have a building, the temptation is that it becomes about the center. And I would say, on a whole, the Western church kind of lives in this, this, this paradigm, this worldview that the building, the church, where the church gathers, is the center. And now let me ask you a question. Does this look more like what Jesus was doing in Mark chapter 5, or does it look more like the Old Testament Holy of Holies model? Which one? Is this the temple model, or is this the church model? Come and see. Come to church. Obviously, this is the temple model. And this was somewhat effective for a few years in the Western world, the attractional church church model worked when the general population was nominally Christian. And by nominally Christian, I mean people kind of understood this, the Christian value systems. Maybe they understood the biblical stories. They'd heard them before. There's some Christian ethics and worldviews that were assumed. Well, it's pretty clear that over the last few decades, nominal Christianity has uh, almost gone extinct. You can't, assume that, you can't assume that in our church anymore. So the idea that the nominal Christian world, so this, was the, the, this used to be the idea, is that let's create a service that is um, culturally relevant and we're just going to try and convince the general population to come to church. And then we do Easter, we do Christmas Eve services, and the, the main idea is come back to church. And if... The whole culture is generally Christian. That might be a good strategy. It might be. I think it's still problematic, but it might be. Uh, but the reality is, as culture has become less and less Christian in terms of its worldview, this idea has become more and more problematic. I think it's time that we return to this idea, this concept, the heartbeat of Jesus who came to earth, put flesh on, was the holy of holies, and began to break every single barrier in order that people would know who he was. The gathered people of God are the sent people of God. That's what the word apostle means, the sent ones. So the disciples who followed Jesus eventually were called apostles because they were sent out. I think God is looking for an apostolic type church. And that's supposed to be every church. A church that is sent, a church that is going, a church that is on the move, a church that has a mission. In fact, this is the mission of every church. Because I believe that God's church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. We don't say, like, this is just the mission of Sun West. This is the mission of God's church. This is the mission of God's people that he's called that he is healed, that he's redeemed, that he's saved. And like the man in the story who comes to Jesus and say, hey, can I just go back and be comfortable and go with you? And Jesus says, no, I want you to go back. I want you to go out. I'm sending you out. Don't keep this to yourself. Now, just building off of this concept, Alan Hirsch, um, who's written a, a bunch about the church being, uh, the Western church needing to be more outreach-oriented, more missional, uh, he, he talks about this paradigm and he uses these symbols, M-O, M-1, M-2, M-3, M-4. Basically what it means, he's saying, is that there's different degrees of barriers that keep people from understanding the gospel. And so the M-O barrier would just be one level of barrier. So that barrier might be language, right? Somebody might not speak the language you're speaking, and so to tell them about Jesus, there would be a barrier there uh, that you would have to overcome, and so you might have to have a translator or learn a different language, and so that would be one barrier. But when you go to M. M1, M2, the barriers start to stack up. And so this could be economic class. It could be history between two people groups. It could be religion, worldview, culture. And the more barriers that there are, the more hurdles that you have to overcome in order for somebody to actually hear about the good news of Jesus. 
And when we have an attractional church model and we say, hey, come and see. Like, it's all about what's happening in one place. It's all about the center. It's all about us moving to the same location, to the same service, to the same place. And we fail to recognize that we are the church, not that the church is not a building. Here's the irony. If we fail to go out, we are expecting other people to do all of the cross-cultural barrier-breaking for us. Do you see that? How could somebody who comes from a different worldview, different culture, different language, different background, different history, how could we ever expect somebody to go and break through all those barriers and just show up at a church service? Like, that is not our mission. Believe me, coming to church is a cross-cultural experience for many, many people. You might not think that. You're not as normal as you think. No, Jesus actually designed his people, called his people to be barrier breakers. Finding the broken, finding the prisoners, finding the captives, the oppressed, introducing them to Jesus, the only one that can set them free. Because again, God's church doesn't have a mission. God's mission has a church. And this is why at SunWest we want to embrace and embody this value. We don't keep this to ourselves. We don't keep what Jesus is doing to ourselves. We don't think that the point is just for me to be in a small group and now I found my place and that's great. I'm not going to keep my small group to myself. I'm not going to keep what Jesus is doing in the life of other people to myself. I am actually going to be proactive and I'm going to break barriers so that people can encounter and experience Jesus themselves. In fact, I think this value is so important for us to embrace again. Uh, We are going to try something. Starting on January 15th, we are going to do a church-wide alpha. Um, so we've done alpha in small groups in the past, and that's been great, but we're going to try a church-wide alpha. Uh, and we're actually going to black out Monday nights. It's, we're going we're to say there's nothing else that's happening on Monday nights in our church. We're not doing any other activities on Monday nights. Monday nights from January 15th all the way up into the, uh, I forget what the end date is, before Mexico, the Mexico trip, Monday nights are going to be our alpha night. And we want to do it on such a a scale that it actually engages our whole community to be involved to pull it off. So we don't want Alpha and Outreach just to be something that a few people do in a small group. We want to actually engage everybody into this mission to go and tell, to not keep things to ourselves. And Alpha is this beautiful thing. If you're not familiar with Alpha, it was designed in uh, the UK. And there's there's a video teaching, but the whole premise of the the Alpha approach is actually to allow a space for people to ask questions in a faith-based, in a Christian environment, yes, but in a non-judgmental environment where people can explore questions of faith, where they can articulate questions of faith. And it goes over a number of weeks. Um, And so we're going to go every Monday night. But in order for us to do this on some level of scale, there's so many different things that we need. And this is kind of where I want to land the plane today is on a very practical note. I'm inviting you, and I'm inviting everybody who calls SunWest home to be a part of Alpha starting on January 15th. And what, could, what, what might this look like? Well, we're going to have to transform this room every week, which means we're going to have to set up and tear down. And so you might want to be a part of Alpha by being on the set up and tear down team, putting away the chairs, setting up tables, and then redoing that and getting ready for Sunday. We're going to need teams that are going to do that because we want people to experience the good news of Jesus. In order for families and parents to be freed up to come, we're going to need childcare. And so maybe you feel called uh, to be part of that, providing childcare on Monday nights so that parents can show up together and be a part of Alpha. Uh, and so we're looking for volunteers that would run childcare on Monday nights. Uh, there's prayer ministry opportunity before Alpha, going through Alpha, and maybe you're passionate about prayer, or you're willing to pray and be a part of that, uh, because we can't do anything. We, we can't transform people on Uh, without Jesus. And so we're inviting the Holy Spirit and Jesus constantly to be a part of this from the beginning to the end. Would you sign up to maybe be on the prayer ministry? We need table hosts, people that will lead conversations at the different tables that are going to be in the space. We need people on tech and audio. Uh, Food and hospitality is a big part of of Alpha too. And so what is that going to look like? We're figuring that out, but maybe you're willing to serve and be a part of food and hospitality. I believe there's enough spots and spaces for everyone to be involved. And so, I don't say this very often, and I know the band's up here waiting for me to get off, but I, uh, 
I want you to pull out your phone. Pull out your phone. If you have the Church Center app, you can click the Church Center app. If you don't have the Church Center app, just go to sunwestchurch.com. I'll give you a minute. Do it. Okay, put up your hand once you're at one of those places. Church Center app or sunwestchurch.com. Okay, we got some slow tech people here. Uh, i give you a... Okay, we got a couple of people. All right. All right, good, good. We're all getting there. Okay. So once you get to sunwestchurch.com or Church Center app, go to events or sign-ups, it says on the Church Center app. And you'll see right there that there's an alpha volunteer sign-up. Does everybody see that? Okay. What I'm inviting you to do this week is to pray and consider where God might have you serve in January. And the reason we're putting in a January, there's a lot of time between now and then, but it's going to take a lot of preparation for us to get ready to do this. Um, would you consider being a part of this Alpha initiative? This posture at SunWest where we say we're not going to keep this to ourselves. And it's not going to be somebody else's job. I'm going to participate in this, the heart of Jesus, so that people that are lost can be found, that people that are captives would be set free, people that are prisoners might be set free. Uh, and Alpha isn't the only way to do this, but it's a, it, I think it is a great, and it's been, it been a proven way that churches can actually engage uh, collectively in mission together. If the tech was too much for you, you can just go to the Welcome Center, and you say, I'm interested in volunteering, and they'll sign your name up. And, um, and a- after you sign up, we'll have uh, leaders that are going to get in contact with you, and we'll get these volunteer teams organized and planned. I invite you to stand with me as we pray. Um, and we're going to end with a song. And when the song's done, uh, you guys are free to leave. Uh, there'll be prayer teams available at the front. Uh, let's pray. God, thank you that you broke barriers because that's why we're here. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you didn't keep these concentric circles of holiness, these hoops that we had to jump through, but you broke down Every barrier, you came through every hoop to come to us and so that we could encounter you and say yes to you. Lord, I pray that we would give away what we receive. Lord, I pray that we would catch your heart for other people. Lord, that our hearts would break for the things that break your heart. Lord, that we would long for people to encounter you so their lives would be changed today and forever. Lord, may this be the heartbeat of SunWest. May we stop just coming to church and may we be the church, the sent ones. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.